Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Blender Report, where news meets rational thinking. I'm your host, Jonathan Harvey. This is your co-host, Liam DeBoer. Liam, what's up, dude? Not too much, brother. Today, we are going to be going over Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel's drama and how Pat McAfee got dragged into the middle of it, uh, as well as Trudeau pushing the WHO to include climate change in the definition of pandemic emergency as well as the World Economic Forum's war against AI-driven misinformation and BC giving safer supply fentanyl to minors without parental consent. So before we get into things, if you wouldn't mind heading over to our website, blendernews.com, that's B-L-E-N-D-R news.com, to sign up for our newsletter. That would be much appreciated. And uh, let's get into things here. All right, so first off, we've got Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel going toe-to-toe and Pat McAfee getting caught in the middle of it. So in a recent appearance on the Pat McAfee show, Aaron Rodgers stirred up controversy by reigniting his feud with talk show host Jimmy Kimmel. The tensions escalated when Rodgers suggested Kimmel's nervousness about being linked to Jeffrey Epstein, prompting Kimmel to vehemently deny any connection and threaten Rodgers with a lawsuit. The saga continued with Rodgers expressing vaccine skepticism, criticizing pandemic responses, and recommending a book by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. There has since been major backlash from corporate media and in a recent video released by McAfee where he states Rogers won't be on the show for the remainder of the year, he expresses relief and acknowledged ruffling feathers in powerful pro- uh, professions, emphasizing the broader impact of his decisions in the media landscape. So what's your thoughts there with the essentially crazy reaction to Aaron Rodgers just airing out what at this point, just seems like common sense. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, I really don't like Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't like him. Like, he, he never really bothered me before COVID, but he said some really nasty shit through COVID. Like, he was one of the largest proponents of saying mean stuff to people that weren't vaccinated and, like, basically wishing death on them and you can't use hospital. Not even basically. He said that yeah. he doesn't think if you're unvaccinated that you should not be able to seek medical attention for right. any reason. And that's so insane. Like, look, I know that I'm not a medical professional, but I can stand on a soapbox in that I did more research than anybody I know by a landslide through COVID. That was kind of a bit of my shtick at the time because of how much it was affecting our lives. He did not. He sat there and just talked shit and has, there's no basis for anything he says and it's filled with hate. And people that did that kind of stuff, it's like, oh, well, you know, let's just forget about that. No, we're not going to. There's, there's some people that are in a position of power because they, in, in his case, he's got a megaphone. Right? That's literally what the guy has. Like, it's, it's a figurative. You know what I mean? He reaches millions of people with his voice, and you say things like that. How do you think that affects all the other people around you? You give people the support that they think they need to continue being brutal to those who chose to make a different decision about getting a vaccine, which we all know was very experimental. Like, honestly, the guy's a fucking dick. And when it comes to this particular issue, this back and forth between him and Rogers has been going on for a couple of years, right? It really, it really started when Rogers didn't want to get vaccinated or said that he was, and he used alternative treatments. That's kind of where things started. But Kimmel has been given a free pass to talk all of the shit about this guy constantly. And Rogers takes the odd jab here and there. And if you watch this clip, it was, again, a pretty small jab. It was almost a throwaway comment that was a bit of a joke that he just took and ran with. And so as soon as Kimmel gets uncomfortable, that little bitch sticks his tail between his legs and screams, lawsuit. Fuck you. I fucking hate that. <laughs> anyway, um, 
you know, so so I I understand like obviously as things went forward with this and and then it became more of a it became more of a corporate feud, right? So Rogers got back on the air and he aired his grievances, right? With a lot of the vaccine mandate things, um, the lockdowns, just pandemic response in general, has his issues with the, the the pharma companies, which we all do at this point. You and I have for a very long time, but anyone paying attention at all at this point is like, oh yeah, this was mishandled. Probably the, the, the most poorly handled crisis in our history. So it, you know, definitely, definitely in the conversation. But it's not even just, oh, it's a poorly mishandled issue and there's been some minor backlash because of that. It's like, no, as Brett Weinstein pointed out a little while ago, he was saying how he just went to a conference in Romania and they were tossing around what he thought was credible information that there's been uh, up to 17 million people that have uh, lost their lives due to this experiment. And even if, even if he's, even if those numbers are inflated by a hundred percent, that's still massive. It's crazy. That's still crazy amounts of people. So the fact that it's just not, it's not just that it's an inconsequential screw up, but it's actually something that is what could easily go down as a great tragedy in human history. Of gargantuan proportions. This is wildly fucked up. And now he's, he's, you know, Rogers was pushing back like I was early on, obviously in a bit of a different way, you know, um, different platform, different approach. Uh, but the reality is we were all put and now we're kind of all on the same page. So he goes and airs all these grievances. You know, he takes it a little bit away from Kimmel and just goes, no, like the establishment is the problem. These things are a problem kind of to the root of his actual cause again. And now what you're seeing is he insulted someone on ESPN. He said all these things against big pharma and now he's being canceled. Like McAfee and this guy are buddies, you know, and they also paid him. I think the number is $85 million to be a part of that, that, the programming for this year. No, so that, it was, he had paid, McAfee said that he paid Rogers up to a million. That $85 million number was saying that ESPN was paying $85 million by essentially the creating that program and then allowing Rogers, Rogers to be use on that. It. Right, right. So I was, a little, I was a little misunderstood. Thank you for clearing that up. I didn't know if they'd made a contract with him kind of like they did with Brady and this was going to be an ongoing thing. But anyway, yeah, so it's an $85 million operation from ESPN. He's kind of taking them all. He's taking a, taking a swing at all of them. Fair enough. Um, but then he just gets canceled off of, off of the program. Now, it's just for the rest of the football season. But in my opinion, this is just the, this is the corporate elite basically saying, you can't talk shit about us on these networks, pal. We own them. And we advertise on all of them so you don't get away with this. And so I think this went from Kimmel and Rogers, a Kimmel-Rogers feud, and I think it escalated to um, corporate censorship. That's how I feel. Yeah, and with the ESPN debacle, I actually, I mean, I have no problem. If you're investing in a platform, I think you have every right to say that this is how I want that platform to be run. Um, if you don't want certain people on your air, then I think there's no issue with that. Uh, per se, what I do think is there's a level of cowardice from Pat McAfee being like, okay, Rogers is clearly a homeboy of yours. Yeah. And then also, if even if Pat McAfee was like, okay, this is how the show has always been about just sports, and that's what we want to focus on, and we're getting a little bit away from that, so I'm pulling away. That's one thing. But he's also, to my knowledge, made it seem very apparent that he 
is one of those guys that's like, fuck you. If I'm doing it, I'm doing things my way. Even in his apology video about this whole thing where he was talking about having relief for the fact that he won't have to deal with the controversy anymore. Even in that, he was in that same video, he was like simultaneously kind of bragging about how he walked in and negotiated his own deal, how nobody's got a, nobody can tell him what to do on his show and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, if you're taking a great amount of pride in being a, I'm doing things my way. And if you don't like that, hit the road. Yeah. Then to then all of a sudden be like, but as soon as there's controversy around something, then I'm going to cow toe myself about yeah. it. Then it's like, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, for me, I think he is one of those guys. He's a loudmouth dude. That's kind of his shtick and that's cool. Do your thing. I know he was the number he was paid. I believe I think it's a $17 million contract he has. Yeah. So it's pretty substantial. I think what guys like that, what they do is they walk in and most people on ESPN get this much wiggle room, this much, yeah, two, three inches. He's got six. Yeah. Ooh, big boy, right? Except that there's 15 feet of room. You just, you just, because you're much bigger than the other ones, you walk in there like you're a big dick swinging dude and you can do whatever you want. But the reality is you can say a few more things and it better be about sports because as soon as you get outside the lines and it starts affecting your bottom line, they don't give a fuck about you. So that's just what it is. And I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I'm a little frustrated in how he basically flagged or signaled rather that he was on the other side. He's like, well, it's not really where I'm at with all this stuff. You know, it's a good thing I don't have to deal with this controversy. It's like, hey, dude, look, if this was in the middle of the height of COVID and someone was saying these things, I would understand if you were like, hey, man, we don't really see things the same way, but, you know, glad I'm out of the controversy. It's way past. And we know that all the things he's saying are accurate. So you're actually just being a little bitch. That's, yeah. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of that going on, apparently, in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's move on here to Trudeau pushing the WHO to include climate change in their definition of pandemic emergency. So conservative MP Leslie Lewis questions the Canadian government's push to include climate change in the World Health Organization's definition of a pandemic emergency, citing concerns about potential overreach and restrictions on individual freedoms. Lewis's apprehensions arise from a leaked document revealing Canada's recommendation to incorporate climate change into the new WHO pandemic instrument. This instrument aims to establish a global framework for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. Lewis argues for limiting the instrument's scope to infectious diseases, fearing a dangerous precedent for the government interventions based on uncontrollable factors. Canada's public health agency defends the position acknowledging climate change's impact on pandemics, but emphasizing the instrument's focus on infectious disease outbreaks. The debate underscores the balance between public health protection and individual liberty. Supporters of the government's stance highlight the complex public health implications of climate change. The ongoing negotiations over the pandemic instrument are expected to fuel continued contention, raising questions about the WHO's ultimate definition of a pandemic emergency and whether climate change will be included. I have a feeling I already know what your thoughts are on this, but <laughs> fire away. Yeah, so look, what is the intention of a pandemic emergency? It, right, it's, it's basically to limit individual freedom and liberty, right, for the group, it's for the whole. We're doing this so that the, the, the rest, of, so keep everybody else safe. That's kind of the idea, right? So when you include climate change or climate, climate emergencies, climate crisis, however you want to look at it in this, in this topic, what you're saying, and it's very clear, like I say, let's call a spade a spade. They want this under this definition. They want climate change under the definition of pandemic emergency so that they can use the same tools that are a part of that apparatus anytime they feel like climate change is now responsible for our situation, whether that's lockdowns, 
whether that's carbon passports, whether that's limiting your travel to, say, a 15-minute city, whether that's limiting the amount of food or meat you can buy. You can buy these insects, but you can't buy this beef. Now, they're going to put sanctions on farmers. This is, an, this is a very, very dangerous move. Now, there's the other thing that's wrong with this is that they're using the WHO. We talked about this last time. They're using the WHO. He's trying to shovel this in there. And then he goes, well, the WHO said that the climate change is a part of the pandemic. This isn't us. This is them. We're just trying to follow the rules. We're just trying to do what's right for the world. Fuck this guy. Right now, he's trying to manipulate the system by backdooring this, which I'm glad Leslie Lewis called him out for it through the Freedom of Information Act, or no one would have even seen this. So he's trying to manipulate the situation. Trudeau, fucking slimy cunt. Trudeau is trying to put climate change in there, which is going to affect the rest of the world who uses the WHO as their filter to make these decisions. This, the ramifications of this go way outside Canada, way outside our lives. And honestly, Trudeau is the one doing it. And I want people to pay attention to this because, <clears throat> not me, I don't mean it like that, but pay attention to this move. Because we look at these organizations like the UN championing disinformation. That was a Canadian bill. We look at now, we're looking at um, climate change going under pandemic emergencies. But that, again, was a Canadian, that's a Canadian bill, let's call it. You know, they're the ones, Canada are the ones championing all this crazy shit to put on these global organizations that then come down on the rest of the world that are a part of these groups. This is fucking wild. This guy is becoming dangerous beyond Canada, and he needs to be stopped, right? I am spicy today, but holy shit, this pisses me off. Anyway. Well, it's one of those things, the issue that I see with it is... Okay, if let's say you are creating a framework to deal with pandemics, you know that you can take certain measures to limit your exposure to them on a national level. So, for instance, closing down international flights or border, all of this kind of stuff, right? But the thing with climate change in specific is Canada uh, is responsible for about 1.6% of emissions globally. And so there is absolutely nothing Canada can do to stop whatever this, you know, their health emergency is or whatever. So you're saying here that, okay, in Canada, we have to do this global framework of, uh, you know, taking climate change extremely seriously from limiting, say, people's access to uh, cheap and abundant energy or uh, like you were talking about with, uh, even changing down to their diet. You know, the director of the WHO recently put out a statement how farming is responsible for up to 8 million deaths a year from their, Dude, it's it, responsible it, to it, climate change. It feeds change. about 8 billion people a yeah, year, you and, mental and case. you're just like, you're, this is fucking <laughs> retarded. And oh then, and then uh, but you look at that aspect where it's like, okay, so Canada is going to essentially give up sovereignty like you're talking about of course yeah the who can't just come in and dictate but they can use the who as a scapegoat for all of their terrible po- uh, policies but it's like okay we we do all of this we give them this this power and then they wield it on us and then china continues going and opening up coal plant after coal plant after coal plant exactly. and you're sitting here going all right well i'm not giving up any fucking ounce of freedom or liberty to quote unquote protect myself against climate change while the largest perpetrators of emissions globally are only steamrolling their emissions forward right so i'm like i there's there's not a chance well for me that just sort of adds the preposterous nature of this whole climate crisis situation right where they, they 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 put the problem in our backyard when the reality is it's First of all, I'm not sure about 
uh, human contribution to the problem in general and how much we can actually change things. We've had this conversation several times. I just don't see a lot of strong scientific evidence that is irrefutable showing that we are that we are even half as responsible for the crisis as they say we are, right? So then the other thing, like you said, is, you know, at 1.6%, and if you consider the amount of vegetation we have in Canada, we might be, we might be at a negative in our actual output, you yeah. know, input output. So I don't know for sure, but I think that's worth a conversation if I, if I were, if I were making the argument. So again, they put these things on us, but the reality is the rest of the, the world that is developing at scale, which is really the Eastern Bloc at this point, they're just going to continue outrunning us. That's what's going to happen if you can, if they, if they keep implementing these, these ridiculous policies. And now again, like it really, for me, comes down to them taking away more individual freedom. And I'm, you know, that that's really where this, that's really where the hill I have to die on for this particular issue. Well, do you, and it just goes to how they categorize this as say a health emergency as well. Do you remember when the doctor, I think it was two, three years ago, maybe it was the first death that was ever chalked up to climate change. Yes, I do remember that. It was uh, somebody out on the West coast. And I remember they were talking about it, like saying, yeah, this, this lady died from from climate change and you're like oh you look into the lady and you go oh it had nothing to do with her having multiple uh, underlying health conditions serious ones like obesity heart yeah. issues all of this several shit. comorbidities including didn't, diabetes yeah also didn't have air conditioning lived in a trailer all of this shit and you're like okay so there's about 10 other 15 other valid things that you could chalk this up to yeah. before claiming it was climate change and it's it's just the exact same inflation of numbers that we saw th throughout the entirety of the pandemic. It was even, you know, the CDC came out recently and said that, what was it? I think it was roughly a third. They, they, uh, they, uh, they guessed that they were over, um, overestimating. overestimating on COVID deaths. So you look at that and you just go like, yeah, they're, they're throwing anything they can and everything right. they can into this category and able to create the problem that they then say we the solution to this problem is we need more power and resources and it's it's that old thought that you know the government benefits off of crises so therefore they have an incentive to create crises even yeah. if they're non-existent right yeah i mean this one i think is interesting because what trudeau will often do is tell us that that it's for our own good right they try to convince the people that this is for your own good but I think this is why I was saying I want people to pay attention to this one because he's trying to do it behind the curtain, right? Which means only, because here's the thing. If, if climate change was really such a severe crisis that it needed to be included in pandemic measures, why don't we have a public conversation about it? Why don't you and I, rational thinking, for the most part, human beings, talk about this? And you can show me your evidence and I can show you mine and we can make a decision. And then Canadians can get on the right side of the issue, right? But instead he does this behind closed doors, behind a curtain and doesn't want anybody to know. He just wants this, this instrument to be put in place so that he can wield more power whenever he feels like it. This is very dangerous and does not serve Canadians or really anybody else around the world in any way. So that's kind yeah, of Yeah, anybody that has to rely on moralizing an issue in order to get their point across, I am instantly skeptical of. If you can't sit there and make me believe something logically, but then instead you have to sit there and go, anybody who doesn't go along with whatever I have, ever I have to say is a dangerous or bad person, whatever it may be, that should make instant, like instantly should make anybody skeptical yeah. of, of what that person's plan is. And I was even talking to somebody recently about, you know, your point to 
how just being up front and talking about the issue at hand, but rather he's doing everything behind closed doors. I was talking to somebody that grew up in Russia today and moved to Canada, or a couple nights ago, sorry. And they were talking about how at least when uh, Putin implemented, say, censorship policies in Russia, he stood in front of everybody and just said, look, we have foreign actors like the CIA, all of this kind of stuff that are trying to influence what happens in our country right now. So we're going to infringe on your guys' freedoms for this purpose, blah, 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 which is it's still not a move that I agree with. But at least but, he's being honest. But he's being with very you. honest about the situation. Whereas with the, you know, with Trudeau and everything, he'll sit there and be like, oh, we're implementing these censorship bills, but it's for your good. We're doing it so that we can protect you from online harms. Yes. And and it's like just if you sat up there and said, Hey, this is a very fucking complex world and there's some there's some bad actors in it, and we think that this is an issue and we also understand that this is infringing on people's individuals freedoms and we don't take that lightly then all of a sudden i have a little bit more trust as to okay you're making me aware of the potential consequences of giving you this power which is infringing on my individual freedoms but you're also putting it next to what you believe to be a problem but as soon as you start talking about how everything you're doing is for my benefit and I should almost sit down and say thank you yeah. like in and, and, and just shake your hand and move on like that's that, kind of been the way of his political that's been his political approach right misdirection say one thing and mean the other it's back to the old grocery grocery rebate oh we're helping 11 million Canadians but to qualify for it you had to be in a very dire financial situation which he put most people in mm -hmm. so it's like you're trying to fix a problem you created by dressing it up you're putting lipstick on a pig dude again what scares me about this one is that he's not even saying it's for our own good. Mm -hmm. He's trying to slide it in without anybody knowing and then using that organization as the scapegoat to implement his totalitarian rule. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as we can get rid of this guy, it's got to happen. For sure. I agree. Uh, all right, moving on here. So the WEF flags AI-driven misinformation as top global threat ahead of annual summit in Davos. The World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report flags a pressing issue. The swift spread of false information, particularly when amplified by advanced AI, poses an imminent threat to the global economy. Risk management expert Carolina Clint, a collaborator on the report, expressed concerns over AI-driven manipulation, citing the potential for deepfakes to fuel large-scale misinformation and further polarize societies. Clint warned of the intricate challenge of fact verification and its potential to undermine the legitimacy of elected governments, eroding democratic processes. Tech industry leaders at Davos, including OpenAI's Sam Altman and Microsoft's leader Satya Nadella, are set to discuss AI's role in misinformation, especially pertinent with upcoming elections in major economies. The report also delves into broader AI concerns such as the empowerment of malicious actors in cyber attacks and the risk of embedding irreversible biases into AI models through contaminated data. I don't see any way that this goes well. Uh, I think the WEF and its cronies, whether that be on the political side like Trudeau or the economic side like Gates and such, they've proven to be the largest purveyors of misinformation 
on the planet. And this even goes back to something that, uh, you know, Rand Paul said at one time in the Senate uh, a while back when they were talking about censoring, say, COVID misinformation was he, he just said, you know, I, I, I find it hard to sit here in the American government and lecture about how we need to get misinformation under control when the American government is a major purveyor of misinformation. And I think that just shows it's, it's like, you know, I, I, we threw into the, the newsletter. It's like, what could go wrong giving liars the ability to become the sole authority on truth? Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to this, you know, first is government has proven to be the largest purveyors of misinformation. Um, you know, and then they weaponize the terms to stifle opposing views. That, that, that's been the rub since they made these terms up, right? And you actually made a good point, is that, um, it was not, in not today yet, but the malinformation is something they made up, which is really this term where it's true, but it's inconvenient to their narrative. These are very dangerous people. Um, and I think this is a move to control a tool that they're afraid of. You know, I think it's very much like social media. They're like, uh-oh, this is getting outside of our control. We need to implement policy to make sure we can censor this because there's too many people that are becoming aware of the power they have and what we're doing wrong here. We need to get this under control or we're going to lose, we're going to lose control of things. And I think this is another one of those, another example of that where AI is very powerful and it's continuing to get more and more effective. Uh, it's pretty crazy what these things can do. And I think their concern is, Hey, we need to get control of this because I think what social media took 20 years, I think AI will take two. So I think they're like, fuck, we need to get on this right now. What concerns me, though, is how powerful these tools are and that they will use these tools just to push their own agenda. So this puts humans, the rest of us, rather, the rest of humans, maybe they're not human, I don't know. Um, it puts the rest of us, though, at a major, major disadvantage because right now it's been one-to-one -one communication. They stifle us, they censor us, they've got larger megaphones, they implement policy, but we can still communicate with each other and try to find a way through these things. You know, if they use these tools, now AI, I just want to take a, take a sec, just take a bit of a side road here. Um, I don't remember who it was, but someone way up in the AI space, they said, using AI today is like having technology from 400, 500 years in the future. That's the disparity. That's how, that's how substantial this jump is. So if you give this tool that is like being in the year 20, like 2,500 to these people that have proven to be nefarious, bad actors repeatedly just to hang on to power and just to make money, you give them this tool, where does that leave the rest of us? And it's in a very precarious position. Now, that being said, I also think there is an interesting, we're getting to this interesting inflection point where AI is so powerful that it can be a substantial disruptor in these, in these elections and in these ways. And I don't know the best way to handle it. I don't think they should be the ones in control of it. Maybe there should be no control. Maybe everybody should just be able to play with the tools that are given and you got to find a way to cut through the crap. Everyone gets the same opportunity. But, you know, when you look at stuff now, if they videotape you and record your voice for 30 seconds or so, they can pretty much just, they can pretty much create an AI copy of you. So how are we going to be able to discern, to discern rather, um, between what's true and what's false? And I, I, I don't know that we're going, right now it's, you still can, but give it another six, eight months, I don't know that we're going to be able to. So I don't have a solution for this, but I do want to highlight it as a very real problem that does need a solution. I just don't know what it is yet. Well, I think it all comes down to messaging and maybe this is a bit idealistic and it's kind of just something you, you touched on there where 
And obviously this, yeah, in the idealistic portion of this comes in the fact that this is something the government would never do, but to sit in front of everybody, call them press conference national wide and say, hey, we are entering a scary new world where it's almost a post objective world where to know what you're looking at in front of your face is is going to be extremely hard to discern whether it is reality or fiction. So... What we suggest doing is using your eyes and ears and looking at what's happening around you in the real world and focus on that. And we're going, we're not going to infringe on your freedoms to disperse or to, um, to parse out information for yourself. We, we trust that you guys are going to be responsible and understand this. Um, but the implications of, us doing something on the legislative end of censorship is just there's that's a whole nother issue that could only make this worse and it's like yeah that's never going to happen that's no. never going to be the message there seems to be no benevolence left in government i don't think it was ever there but i mean it's it's one of those things where I think they want to, to, to your point, they, they come down and they weaponize those three different terms, right? There's misinformation, which they classify as somebody unknowingly spreading things that aren't true. There's disinformation, which is knowingly spreading things that are untrue to, in order to uh, undermine authority. And then there's malinformation, which is saying things that are true, but undermine authority. And you look at it's not just like they want to put a label on it as such as what x does with their community notes which i think is actually a very good approach to say this this sort of scenario but rather they want to then anybody that's guilty of these they start looking at them like domestic terrorists it's not just like oh this is this is just like we're just slightly nudging this in the other way it's like no if you're doing this you're a direct threat to like I mean, terrorism is is the use of you know violence to get a political message across, and it's like to put people and whether it be us or whether it be AI that's putting out misinformation to say that that's a level of domestic terrorism is that just shows you where their head is at. Yeah, I mean, so there's an interesting thing that I'd bring up right now, which which we're gonna we're gonna see happen over this this year because there's a lot of elections this year around the world, like. 50% of the world's population is going through elections this year, which I think it contributes, I think it's about 60% of like the, the economy kind of thing, something like that. I, 50% is an accurate number to go with. Um, do you remember when that guy made the meme about Hillary Clinton? Yeah. And he got, he's in jail right now. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, um, he made a meme that basically, it was fucking so funny. <laughs> he made Actually, a meme. you know what? I don't think he even made it. Okay, he, he spread he it out. Yes, okay, he, so he, 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 yeah. pushed this, he pushed this meme out that basically said, oh, you don't want to wait in lines? Just text Hillary to this number, da 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 and that's your vote. So it's basically preying on all these fucking idiots that think, think, think that's how you're actually going to be able to vote in the federal election. So they, got, they threw him in jail for election interference, right? Now, that's kind of funny, but it sets an interesting precedent. Because if you're on the other team, and think about think about Russia, think about China, people trying to mess with with uh, with all the um, with all the elections in, in our in our countries, but even domestically, if you want Trump to win or you want Biden to win, you take you you basically build an entire AI campaign 
to shred the other guy. Whether you're saying things about him or whether you're putting him in situations that it is him and you know it puts him in puts him in a bad light or saying bad things or whatever it is to try to smear the guy. So this is going to happen for sure. And any of these ones that are effective that get you know um, that get con- they get compounded they get picked up by everybody and spread like the Stephen Hawking midget thing. <laughs> so when these things happen. You know, there's going to be instances of hundreds, probably thousands of people that are partaking in this particular election interference that I'm discussing right now. How do you manage that? How do you mitigate that? How do you, what do you do now? How many people are going to jail? Like, what what does that look like? How does that play out? Because they've already set the precedent over a meme. So if you're using weaponizing technology like AI um, to skew elections, which is going to happen, how do they keep that under control? Yeah. And yeah, you can't is, is is where I get to it, where I just, I look, I look at it and it is an impossible scenario. And, you know, if you want to talk about addressing this, then I think it has to be along the lines of the Elon Musk proposed solution, which is like, okay, let's not regulate how we're going to live in a world with this extremely advanced AI. We need to regulate this right now as to if we should be even developing AI. Like we need to just put a pause on this whole technology yeah. and treat it almost as if it's something of like nu- a weapon. nuclear pr- uh, proportions, yeah. which is which is valid. It's like you know if 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 we understood the uh, the scenario that we were going to create by creating nuclear weapons, uh, essentially a world where a push of a button could end humanity then if if we at least understood that that was the consequences of of developing this technology we could have had a a little bit more of a solid approach to the conversation of should we and you know this to me they just seem like yeah we're going to roll steamroll further ahead cuz you listen to guys like Klaus Schwab talk on the stage and they are very excited about all of these developments like right. with AI and such you know he even gets into the transhumanist stuff as well of being like oh we could live forever <laughs> if, if you allow us to hack your biology and such and such I'm kind of down for that but I don't want him hacking it I'd rather have Elon hacking yeah. it Whatever. <laughs> um, I am I am uh, of the mind of let's not try to play God things typically go terribly yeah, wrong that's what you get for believing that. in God right? yeah <laughs> um, you know what you know what's interesting though the difference between the two so when when nuclear arms really came into the conversation they did implement tools because of the evident the very objective danger of these things right now I think there's only about 10 countries that, that we know of that have nuclear arms so they they put in all these they put in all these stopgap measures and big companies like GE and others lost tens of billions of dollars not developing that technology. There was a conversation had back when this was kind of, you know, hitting the retail market and it was going to be at scale, but like we have to stop this because the danger that the downside is so substantial. Now, if you think about nuclear and what they did and what it could do and how it contributes to society, they're for the most part Nuclear power, nuclear, however you want to look at it, nuclear arms, it's a very small group of people that have the intelligence and the, the wherewithal to understand how it works. So while it can contribute to society in a big way with like nuclear power plants, it's still very isolated. Like by its very nature, it needs to be regulated because it's, it, because it's quite dangerous um, objectively. You know, and it doesn't really contribute to society in many ways outside of weapons and outside of energy, right? But when you look at AI, the problem is that it's actually beneficial for every segment of every market everywhere in the world. Everyone benefits from it. 
And that's, I think, the big difference. No, but it does. Think like, what if people? I mean, the mass unemployment, sure, sure. all of that kind of stuff. You it's can, pretty you, hard. You, you can roll your eyes at me, but what I'm saying is 90% accurate. I'm being a little hyperbolic by saying yeah. everything, but it, it pretty much does help every industry in some way. It improves efficiency. Sure, it's going to create unemployment. But what I mean is, it is better for like most of humans at scale. You say efficiency, I say dependency. Sure, but, but <laughs> right, but but I mean, right, I think I think you're taking more of the contrarian perspective on this and that's fine. I think it makes our conversation better, but the reality is I don't want to I sorry, I don't want to get caught in the weeds here. I don't want to miss my point. My point is that this is a valuable tool that integrates into so many other areas of society that helps society. It helps business, it helps people. Nuclear is not really in the same conversation. And that's why this is one of those funny things where I actually think AI is more dangerous. But because it integrates at such a higher level than, than nuclear, um, in terms of the volume of people that can actually put their hands on it and use it, I don't think there's any way to stop this runaway train. Here's the other point. Because it's already out, that means that the government's already got it, right? So that's like saying, hey, we're just going to trust them to do the right thing. We can't. We know we, we know, we objectively know that we can't do that. So we also, like, I agree with Elon. I wish we had pressed pause before the technology really broke through based on where I think it's going to go. But the reality is because the cat's out of the box, cat's out of the bag, what else is out of the box? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so because, it, because AI's out of the box, um, we can't put it back in. We have to find a way to live with it. We have to find a way to work with it. Um, but we can't give it up because the, the, the nuclear arms are already available, right? That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah for sure i have yeah i have <laughs> i have a very uh pessimistic view about it all i can say is everybody should go read uh industrial society in its future uh, i won't say by who as it'll probably get us flagged on youtube but, right uh, <laughs> look look i i don't disagree that there's going to be some major disruptions in employment i think they said it's going to people are going to lose 300 million jobs this year because of ai and it could be a billion the following year I know that's going to happen, but look, there's a cyclical nature to this in society. This always happens. It's like when we basically struck oil. You know what they did? Is they said, hey, we've got oil, and now we've got a machine. That replaced 25 workers, right? So they go, well, this is the end of the world. The guys aren't going to have work. They can't, they can't provide for the families. This is all over. We can't use oil. Well, they did, and we're still here. It worked, right? So that, that's, I realize I, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but we find a way, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is that with oil and energy, energy is as uh, as important to human life flourishing as any other resource on the planet because, you know, sure, it might have taken away their jobs, but it also allowed them to heat their homes or, you know, to actually, with, with I mean, even now with the, uh, how a lot of nitrogen is used in the growing of agriculture, it's like that, that, expansion into different energy sectors it's like it did have certain negatives but it also gave great uh abundance to certain other issues that humans dealt with i with when it comes to ai i don't see it as being as helpful to our base nature i see it as more of a convenience thing than a necessity i think you're being short-sighted i think Maybe. that the value of where like you see something the other day um the AI processed the ability to find a way to like, I don't remember if it was harvest or breathe on Mars or whatever it was. It was either harvest vegetables, breathe on Mars, some, something in that realm. They're like, look, it would have taken us 20 years to do the number of calculations this thing did. Yeah. Right? So that's just one example. I know it's, it might be a little offshoot, but I'm using it to say like, hey, the technology here can do a lot of great things. I think it's just a matter of how we use it. Because the reality is like, if you, if to go down that line a little bit with Elon Musk, if we don't get off this planet, we're basically just waiting to die, right? 
because there's always natural disasters, it's just going to happen. Technology like this, just going down this one arm, because I think it's valuable in every other arena, but going down this arm, using it properly will allow us to, I imagine, expedite our, our ability to travel through space and find other planets to, to, you know, to live on probably by over 100 years. And that might be crucial. I don't know. But again, that's just one avenue. I think that these things can really be used for a lot of good, just like oil for heating your home. I think it's just a matter of applying the technology in that direction, in that way. And I don't know who we depend on for that. If you, if you leave it in the private sector, it will get done, definitely. But if you just leave it with the public, if you just leave these tools with the government, it won't go that way. It'll only be used for power and control and suppression. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I see upsides and even even myself, you know, I'm uh, I'm a fan of using chat GPT for certain certain things. Uh, there's definitely there's definitely benefits. I just uh, yeah, I don't know. I get you don't have a lot of I trust get, in humanity. I, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get, I get I very mean, freaked to, out. To your point, though, then why aren't we all why aren't they just blowing off nuclear bombs all the time? Because they're all over the world. You know, what I mean, it's like, well, because well, it's mutually assured <laughs> destruction, whereas with AI, if one government is able to weaponize it like to your point they they are exponentially ahead of every other inst every other group on on the earth whereas okay you've got let's say china develops it first and they're able to essentially overnight go hundreds of years in into the future right over the rest of humanity it's like i don't see it as something that they're going to then use to bolster and help humanity but rather that they can then use to control humanity with their with their goals well what's going to happen is you're going to get the same thing right you're going to have all these countries racing because ai is out of the box um they're going to race and then they're going to find this they're going to find this ground where they're going to go okay 10 countries have nuclear arms okay 10 countries have the same capacity in ai that's what it's going to look like i don't know how quickly we get there and i, I know it's going to be a bumpier road than how simple i just explained it but that same thing is going to happen right mm -hmm. Because we've, we've got to this point now where there's always someone on the other side of the fence. That's our game now. So you always have to be bolstered with whatever weapons you can, whatever, whether it's about economics, whether it's like weapons of mass destruction, whether, whatever the fuck it is. You know what I mean? AI is just another one of those things that it, it is a race and it's going to be this constant push. And you know what? There's going to be these superpowers that have this capacity. Some are going to work together. The West will work together. The East will work together. And we're going to find some common ground. It's just going to, it's going to happen. And the thing is there are... There are AI tools that do have the same principle as like mutually assured destruction. Like, did you say these see these AI weapons they have? So they've got AI weapons now that can autonomously decide to kill their targets. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. So I have seen that this. is yes. that to me is as or more dangerous than nuclear yeah. arms, right? So these are already these already exist. It's the plot of Captain America Winter Soldier. It's mental, right? So there's more priming, right? So um this is here. They're gonna find some common ground, they're gonna build some treaties, and then what's gonna happen is the more radical countries that are aligned with the bigger players in the East or the bigger players in the West are going to be controlled by their overlords, you know, mainly China, Russia, those. They will control a lot of the other countries that are going to get out of hand and do crazy shit with these things. Hey, maybe if you infringe on their land or some part of their culture in some way, maybe they will use them, but it'll be small scale, right? It, it will be treated the same way as sort of nuclear arms. Um, so yeah, I still have a lot of faith in it, but either way, it's happening. So I just, I guess I choose to see the more positive side of things. And so this is maybe a little bit more of a meta conversation about technology, but t talking to uh, industrial society and its future, again, highly suggest everyone to read. But essentially the, the concept of that book is that technological progress and any human freedom is incompatible 
that they essentially we're just creating the systems to control ourselves with. Um, there's an interesting hypothesis put forward and, and I'm bending it to a, a little bit of a different technology here. But like, so for instance, we create technology to make our lives more convenient. Let's say emails. Sure. It's emails were created to save us the issue of having to sit down, write a letter, mail it. It takes a week or two to get to its uh, intended uh, recipient. And then they have to write back, et cetera. So created email. This is an easier, quicker way for people to uh, communicate. But then what ended up happening was it lowered the bar of what was important to communicate about. Yep. So if you were writing a letter to somebody, it was, you were, you understood that it took effort. So it was significant. We, so it's significant where, so we created email to save us time, but now people end up, the, the bar was so low that they end up spending, oh, I have to send a hundred emails today. Yeah. And I have people constantly trying to get a hold of me of yep. ex- extremely slow, mundane things. And it, we, yeah, intended it to make it more convenient, but it really only ramped things up. And so it is, it is an interesting concept to play with of like, there, there seems to be a, it's like, uh, at the beginning, it, it seems like a convenience, but then it actually becomes a hindrance. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting way to look at technological progress, but anyways, moving on here, uh, BC to give a safer supply fentanyl to minors without parental consent. So the British Columbia government's approval of providing safer supply fentanyl to minors has sparked controversy, prompting concerns about parental rights and ethical issues surrounding underage consent. Protocols developed by the British Columbia's Centre on Substance Abuse permit doctors and nurses to prescribe fentanyl tablets to youth without parental consent. Critics, including addiction experts, question the lack of evidence supporting this intervention, the absence of safeguards for minors, and the potential harm to parent-child relationships. They argue that drug-addicted youth may struggle to provide informed consent, and parents should have a say in such medical decisions. The protocols lack a minimum age for fentanyl recipients, relying on, or, yeah, relying on a vague concept of capability for consent, raising further objections. The BCCSU has not addressed concerns about parental involvement or the rights of parents opposing their children receiving fentanyl. The program's lack of transparency and evidential support intensifies worries with debates over its necessity to reduce drug-related deaths versus the potential harm it may inflict on youth and families. What's the potential unintended consequences here, Jonathan? Ugh. I mean, you got to ask yourself when they do stuff like this, why? Why would the government give minors the opportunity to take the most deadly drug that is pretty much in the market today um, without telling their parents? What would be the reason for that? You know, when I, I ask myself that question, and, you know, the only thing I can think of is that they're trying to break apart. Like, I call it the nuclear family, and I don't, this doesn't just have to be, like, both parents, but, I mean, they're basically trying to break apart families. I think the government has been doing a really good job of trying to make themselves like the daddy. You know what I mean? Hey, come lean on us. We're, we're going to save you. We're going to help you. Um, you're going to probably have a better explanation as to why that's happening and maybe how that applies to their intention to move more towards communism. I don't deeply understand that side of things, but this is just becoming evident to me that they are just taking a different approach to continue breaking apart families and separating children from their homes I think it's really disturbing, you know, because there's no other reason that you do something like this. 
a guy, a kid that's, they say that they, they're, they're, they're depending on the, the child's, um, do you say credibility or, or capacity basically yeah, keep, to make, capability, capability to make, to make this decision. Now, if you're a drug addicted 14 year old. What capability do you have to tell me whether or not you should be on more drugs? You don't, you know what the, the number of people that are going to say, no, I don't need it is fucking zero. So that's, that's absolutely crazy. You're just, you're allowing these kids to be more addicted to drugs. What other thing I find um, to be a little disturbing here is parents can't force their kids into drug rehab programs. So if a parent can't force their kid into a drug rehab program, but the government can now give them fentanyl without even informing the parent, or obviously without informed consent because they're children. Tell me how any of this makes any sense. This is an absolute, this is just some psyop. I don't fucking know what's going on. Yeah, well, you know, okay, let's put tinfoil hat on here for a second. Love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying there is, but if I wanted to depopulate the earth, then you might take certain extremes as, say, promoting ideologies that would uh, inspire kids to remove their sexual reproductive organs. Maybe you would push the drug and overdose situation on them. Uh, you know, you could also argue, yeah, you'd limit access to things like energy under the name of crisis protection. You'd try to scale back on widely available food production. So, you know, the abundance of food that we currently have. And yeah, it seems to me that this, this move would fit into that if that were your goal. To your point on communism and the nuclear family, so one of the tenant and core beliefs of communists is that children are not property of the parents, but rather property of the state, that individuals, you know, it, essentially communism is the idea that the collective supersedes the individual, so the individual has no intrinsic rights per se, and that's that whole idea of, okay, maybe you try to dissolve the nuclear family because parents can put their own values and virtues into the child's mind, whereas, you know, they can't be trusted with such things, such measures. We, the, the government, the public sector, are the only types that could be uh, trusted with the development of a child and essentially molding them into what we believe to be beneficial for society. And so to me, like it does go right into that, this whole safer supply bullshit too. You know, a lot of people like to point to European countries approach to drug decriminalization and such, which I actually largely agree with, but the difference between us in Canada and uh, what a lot of states in America are currently doing and the European countries that they try to uphold as what they're trying to emulate. The reality is, is that a lot of those countries, they decriminalize it. So we're not just going to go throw you in jail if you use drugs, but we're also going to have programs in place that try to dissuade people from using them. Or for instance, when people are using drugs in public, they bring them in and they don't just say, okay, yeah, you're like our current protocol, especially in BC. And you've seen this, I mean, we're seeing it all over Toronto, but Vancouver as well, where it's just like, oh, just open drug encampments. Cool. Just do your thing. Yeah. That's, that's, 
that's just full on endorsement at that point. That's not decriminalization. Whereas what the uh, the uh, a lot of the places in in Europe do, Holland in specific, is it's like fact check me on this, but it's something similar to this scenario where if you get caught doing drugs in public, they bring you in and it's essentially a forced uh, intervention. So the courts will bring your family in. Uh, you also get right. brought in and you get the option of undergoing rehab or criminal prosecution, essentially. So it's like, it's like okay, you can go. We have all of these other aspects right. for you. Uh, we don't want to uh, inflict any criminal or legal charges against you. That's why we have all of these other scenarios. But uh, but so it's like leaving it to choice, and it's like okay, I, I largely agree with that or that kind of concept. But this whole just all right now, we're not just going to not prosecute you, but we're going to supply you with your uh, uh, these addictive substances. Yeah, that's a that's a completely different line to cross. Yeah, I feel like we just sit here and we facilitate it. We just make it we make it worse by just basically praising them, and then um, we protect them, right? And I saw something else that happened recently, and this was like this was like the this is the absolute bare minimum, you know, um, about drug use in public. They're like, hey, okay, so let's just tell them we can't use drugs on playgrounds, and they're like, nope, that's an in, that's it that that harms their individual freedoms. They can use drugs on playgrounds. What are we talking? This is in BC as well. I'm going. What the fuck are we talking about? What a charade! Like this doesn't make any sense. This is so illogical. Like you said, if you're going to put something in, if you're going to implement a system to try to reform people and then decriminalize at the same time, I totally agree because I don't think people's whole lives should be thrown away and that you should be thrown into the, 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 the penal system, which can be very... Uh, it can ruin people's lives. They get stuck in a cycle, right? I don't think that people should be subject to that for doing drugs. I've done tons of drugs. I don't think that that should be the case. I've never had an issue with them. I've always had really good self-control, but at the same time, I don't think people you know, should be losing out on a life of opportunity because they're in their teens and they're experimenting. But again, if you don't implement some way to reform them, all you're doing is you're making them more dependent on the state. And what a great way to do it. Hey, not only do you not have to stop, just denounce your parents, come stay with us, and we'll just keep you high the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to your point, it's like, you know, I've never had any serious issues with it, but I would definitely say that I have <laughs> abused marijuana in my past and, and maybe presently. But uh, <laughs> and maybe today. Uh, but um, it's one of those things where even I argue as somebody that frequently uses weed, it's like, okay, I don't think it should be criminalized, uh, but I also see that there is a lot of negative aspects of having it perfectly acceptable socially acceptable and available ready and available to you pretty much all times of the day you know let's say i'm sitting at home at 9 p.m and i don't have any weed i can sit there and go ah, you know is it uh, like under past circumstances like say growing up in high school dealing with like all right i've got that would mean i have to text somebody they're not going to respond for like 30, 45 minutes. Then they're going to tell me it's going to take them two hours to get to my house. Yeah. It's really going to take them four. And then, all right, so I'm just not going to deal with this tonight. Like it's another time, push it off. But then it's now it's one of those things where as soon as you have the craving to use yeah. marijuana or whatever other drug it would be, you're like, oh, there's literally somewhere downstairs yep. that I can go to and have it in my hands within five minutes. So it's like an accessibility. It becomes like a, uh, it, it, there's a lot more room for abusing it at that point. Totally agree. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, look, I know that it's a complex issue 
Like, I don't think anybody should be able to tell anyone what they're allowed to put in their body. Mm -hmm. I really don't. And I actually do believe that drugs should be decriminalized. I do. I don't think people should. I, but that being said, there's a, there has to be repercussions for certain behaviors. And, you know, obviously people do get addicted. People don't have self-control. I think if we spent more time building systems to help reform people, a reward-based system, not a penalized-based system, I think you could help a lot more people. And I think that might be a more effective approach to take than what they're doing. But the last thing I think, the last thing on the list, the last fucking thing on the list might be giving minors fentanyl without telling their parents yeah. and without needing the need for any parental consent whatsoever. That might be the absolute last thing on the list. And I don't know how we got here. This is wild. Minors are the protected class. Why do they keep getting to do these things? How, are we, how do we have a system in place that safeguards the judicial system, and the politicians that are implementing these rules. This is fucking wild. This is an attack on Canadians. And I, look, I don't, I don't know the way through it. I just don't know how we got here. And, you know, I, I, say this, I say this quite frequently these days. If you want your institutions to work, you have to work for your institutions. And this is just one more reason why I think for all those Canadians out there who want to stay here and want to fix these problems, you might have to not only have a voice, but you may have to get involved. Otherwise, I don't know how we turn this around. Yeah, no, it's true. And even especially with the whole issue on, you know, we were talking about consent is like, how can, how can these people properly consent to this? You see, you see this, this issue left, right, and center. I mean, we weren't given proper consent for like informed consent for that medical experimentation that took place over the last little while here. Um, and then also on the aspect of like, you know, they're trying to expand made to yeah mentally ill people. And, and you just look at that as a paradox and you go, how can somebody be so mentally ill that they are fit to end their life, but then simultaneously be mentally fit enough to provide consent to ending yeah. their life? Yeah. yeah it kind like, of eats its own tail a little like, bit. Yeah. Like, th that's, that's an unsolvable paradox. Yeah. And the only issue is, is that, okay, we're not going to make this, or the only way to uh, properly deal with that scenario is go, that decision can't be in our hands. Exactly. And it's like, but they look at it and they just go, this decision, give us all of it. Like you can trust us with all of this stuff. And it's like, we, we are so, we are so good and moral and virtuous that we should be given the, uh, the, the, to decide whether you can live your life or whether your wor life is worth living, whether you should take drugs, whether it's every aspect they're just trying to essentially. Yeah. Like I said this the other day, um, there's nobody here to save us. And unfortunately it, it feels as though we're being attacked from every angle. Yeah. You know, so I guess taking a maximum amount of personal responsibility for your life is probably the best way to get. There. I think, and I think that is the, the solution top to bottom is yeah. Just being aware of that. And then hopefully that's, uh, that's something that we're, we're, uh, we're doing for people is lifting that veil of, you know, having somebody else come and save you. And it's just like, just, yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. Level up. All right. All right. Anything rest for the day? No, that's it. Thanks. Bye everybody.